in a moment, I'm going to show you a little four-minute film. And, um, you know, it's always good when you're watching a film to have a snack, isn't it? To have a little something that you can nibble on that while you're there watching the film. And so I've got a little gift for you. I've got some bowls of jelly babies. Okay? And in a moment, I'm going to um, um, bring them around and give you a, a, a bowl for your table. So if you're sat on a table and there's just like one or two, just two of you, you get a whole bowl of jelly babies for yourselves. If you're sat on a full table, share. <laughs> but I just want to, I want to just tell you a little bit about jelly babies to make you think. See, they were invented in um, 18, the late 1800s. Let me just check. Yeah, 1864, Jelly Babies were created. But they weren't called Jelly Babies. They were called Unclaimed Babies. Yeah. And they were created to represent babies that were marginalised orphans. They were created to make people think about people that were worse off than themselves. They were created with compassion for unclaimed babies. So they were called unclaimed babies, which I find fascinating. And then in the, uh, just after the, the Great War, I always struggled to call it the Great War, but the First World War, uh, it wasn't so great. Um, but in 1918, uh, they were repurposed and renamed. And they were called peace babies. Because they were, they were to uh, commemorate people that were lost and families that were starting again. There's compassion in the story of jelly babies. And then after the the Second World War, because they were, the production stopped, and then in the, late, in the, in the 50s, um, they were rebranded and remade by the Roundtree Company, and they were called Jelly Babies. And that's how we've got our Jelly Babies, birthed out of somebody caring for unclaimed babies. Fascinating. Fascinating. So I'm going to show you a little film about compassion. But I'm going to give you a treat. Ellen, would you help me? Kate, Martin, do you mind? If there's a big bowl, put it on our table, all right? I'm going to sit at my table. You're welcome. You're welcome. Okay. So um, feel free to munch away. Okay, Claire, thank you. If you tried to describe what God is like, it could be difficult or daunting. But when the people who wrote the Bible pondered the mystery of God, they consistently described God's character in this way, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, overflowing with loyal love and faithfulness. The very first word used in this description of God is compassionate, or in Hebrew, rachum. 
This word also appears as a noun, rachamim, or compassion. And what's fascinating is that both of these words are related to the Hebrew word for womb, rechem. So compassion in the Hebrew Bible is centered on a person's core, and the word invites us to imagine a mother's tender feelings for her vulnerable infant. So rahum is a word that conveys intense emotion. Sometimes it's even translated as deeply moved, like in the story of King Solomon who meets two women who've just given birth. One of their babies sadly dies, but then both women claim that the baby still living is theirs. As a test, Solomon says to cut the baby in two and give each mother a half. And the baby's real mother is deeply moved. She would rather the other woman take her baby than see her child die. And it's her compassion that reveals that she's the true mother. But rahum isn't just an emotional word. It also involves action. And surprisingly, the word is used most often to describe God's actions motivated by his emotions. Like when the Israelites are suffering and oppressed in Egypt, God hears their cries and is compelled by his compassion, his rachamim, to rescue them. Then, as the Israelites travel through the dangerous wilderness, they're hungry and thirsty. And God is rachum, caring for them as his own child. He provides everything they need, food, water, and clothing, as he personally guides them. So it's no surprise that when Yahweh reveals his character to the Israelites in the wilderness, he begins by saying he's compassionate. But despite Yahweh's continual rachamim, the Israelites turn away from him time and again. They reject Yahweh's compassion and instead give their allegiance to other gods. And rather than showing compassion to each other, they do violence. And their rebellion results in exile, and they're scattered among the nations. And it's in this dark moment in Israel's story that we come to the book of Isaiah, where Yahweh compares himself to a mother full of rachamim toward her baby. He says, can a mother forget her nursing child or have no compassion or rachamim on the child of her womb? Even if she forgets, I will not forget you. God is full of motherly compassion and he will rescue his people. And as you read further in Isaiah, you realize that God is going to do this by entering into the suffering of humanity. And this points forward to a time when Jesus comes on the scene. He is Yahweh's deep compassion become human. In Greek, the word compassion is oiktirmas. And as Jesus embraces the sick and cares for the outcast, he is deeply moved by human suffering. Jesus compares himself to a mother hen using her wings to shield her chicks from danger as he gathers people into his embrace. And in the ultimate expression of oiktirmas, Jesus is moved by compassion to enter into humanity's suffering, into death itself, to rescue and bring us near to God. And it's this same life of compassion that Jesus calls his followers to imitate allowing ourselves to be moved by the pain of others, to embrace the hurting, and to participate in relieving suffering in the world. In this way, we too can embody the compassion of Yahweh, or in Jesus' words, be compassionate, just as your Father is compassionate. Now you can see how fitting it is that compassionate is the first word God uses to describe himself. 
So when we're in pain or see others suffering, we can be certain that God is deeply moved to respond and that he's there to meet us with his deep compassion. Interesting. Interesting. Kinley, you have a verse of scripture for, yeah, for Felipe and Gabrielle. He's got a verse of scripture. I don't want to, don't want to overlook this. It's uh, in Acts 2, uh, verses 25 to 27. And uh, it says, I see that the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and my tongue shouts his praises. My body rests in hope, for you will not leave my soul among the dead. He is compassionate towards you. Compassionate enough to communicate personally and privately, but also publicly. God is compassionate. And I just wonder, what did you hear? What did you see? Give me some feedback. Well, that's a challenge, isn't it? Oh, oh, I wasn't really listening. I was too busy stuffing. The Hebrew word for compassion with the womb. And uh, I'd like to know more about that. I don't know whether you will talk about that. but um. Okay. Okay, anybody else? Oh, Dave? I, w- I watched a, um, a testimony of a, um, a Muslim guy yesterday who was from Syria and he, he gave his heart to Jesus. And um, one of the main reasons was the compassion of Jesus. He'd been praying for his son for years to Allah and heard nothing. Prayed to Jesus, and in 20 minutes his son was healed. And so it's like um, God is a God of compassion, and he's not, he's not far removed. He's here with us. Yeah. 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 Okay, I'll take the pain away from you, and I'll tell you what I heard, because I've, I've watched it a few times. Um, <clears throat> the thing that jumped out at me first was uh, that compassion, they, they said... Um, Intense emotion. Intense emotion. If you feel compassion for someone because of something that's happening, it will be an intense emotion. It can't, you can't be half-hearted and compassionate. You can't be disinterested and compassionate. You, you have to be engaged intently in what is stirring your emotion. Uh, um, they also said it can be translated as, or understood as deeply moved. Deeply moved. Have you ever been deeply moved about something? Some injustice, something that's not right, and you've said, this is not right, it should not be happening, and you're deeply moved? Well, you feel it deeply, but you actually begin to do something you actually you don't just go oh what a shame you're actually deeply moved you actually they said of Jesus it's of God actually they said it's action motivated by the emotion action motivated by the emotion when you as a believer 
as a follower of Jesus, see an injustice, something that's not right, something that's wrong, are you motivated to action because of the compassion that you feel? The world has changed. The world has been influenced and impacted over millennia because of people impacted by God with his compassion for the lost, for the broken, for the hurting. And their motivation has made them actually bring transformation to situations and circumstances. And we have so much to be thankful for in our nation today and in the nations around the world where Christians have got up because they have been deeply moved by some injustice and they've gone after it. So let me read to you Matthew 9, 36 from the Amplified Bible. And it's talking about Jesus and it says this, when he saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion and pity for them because they were dispirited and distressed like sheep without a shepherd <clears throat> then he said to his disciples the harvest is indeed plentiful but the workers are few so pray to the lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest jesus is looking at people and is distressed is he in his distress he is motivated to action and his action manifests in encouragement to his disciples to pray for workers because the fields are white and these people, these people, I was one of these people, are distressed and dispirited. So I find myself thinking, what does dispirit? Because this is the Amplified and it uses words that make me ask questions. Dispirited, what does that mean, dispirited? Well, I could try and give you my thoughts on dispirited, but, I, but it makes me think. So I thought, well, I'm going to look, up, look it up and see what the Bible, or what the dictionary says to get a better understanding. So dispirited means to be low in spirit or enthusiasm. To be low in enthusiasm. Ever met anybody who's just low in enthusiasm? <sighs> They're hard work, aren't they? They're, they drain. They drain. And sometimes uh, I'd rather have... <laughs> I'd rather avoid them because they're hard work. But Jesus sees them and he's motivated and he's moved and he's distressed. These people, can, it also says that it can be downhearted or disheartened. <clears throat> so they can have... Excuse me. They can have experienced something that's just knocked the stuffing out of them. They've been robbed emotionally, physically. Uh, something's happened that should never have happened, and they're just—they've just had the wind knocked out of their sails. Have you ever met those people? My heart goes out to them more than just the miserable people. <laughs> and it also says it's. Dispirited is to be depressed. And I don't know about you, but uh, I've been depressed. I've really struggled with my thinking sometimes. And, and I found myself in my darkest moments saying, Jesus, can I come home? 
just being honest with you. <clears throat> and, uh, and Jesus gave me a no. <laughs> and he says, no, I'm going to send you Martin and Sally. <laughs> That's what happened. Because sometimes in our distress, we can be discouraged. Because that's another meaning for the word dispirited. Just discouraged. Just discouraged. And I don't know about you, but as I look around, I can see an awful lot of discouragement. I can see an awful lot of depression. I can also see people that are distressed. And I did the same. I looked up distressed. And what does that mean? And it just said simply this, to have extreme anxiety. And if we didn't notice, but we are living in a day where there is extreme anxiety. People are anxious about not just their, their, their heating and their lighting and all those things, but they're just, they're lonely, they're isolated, they are despondent. It can also mean <clears throat> to be sorrowful or in pain. And some people are just, they're just hurting. They're just hurting. But Jesus is moved with compassion when he sees these people. He's moved with compassion to actually do something. And he's motivated to action. And his action is to call his disciples to pray for you and me. For you and me. Because we're the workers. We're the workers. One, uh, 2 Corinthians 1, 4 says this. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. So as you have received, freely give. As you journey through life, life is not a bed of roses. Well, it is a bed of roses, but roses, have you noticed, are covered in thorns. And, and life is sometimes pretty challenging. I want to take away the sometimes. I think life is pretty challenging. Life is challenging. But you see, I, I've got this thought about compassion <clears throat> that was um, triggered in me by something I was reading. And it used this expression. It said this. Um, it, it talked about um, compassion as disruptive compassion. Disruptive compassion. And I thought, disruptive compassion? What's that? What's disruptive compassion? And so it set me on a trail. And I began to think about compassion that would be disruptive. And the article said this. It said, <clears throat> let me just pause. I don't know about you, but I daydream. Do you daydream of what could be, of what should be, of what maybe God has in store? Uh, I was telling somebody uh, this week just gone that um, uh, when we first came to Llanelli, I used to pray uh, for the church and work with my focus on the church and thinking I need to bring transformation into this church and just energize this church, enthuse this church, help this church become effective and my prayer was focused in-house. And then uh, after a short time, I began to fall in love with this community. I began to have a passion rising up within me for Llanelli. And I began to pray, not just for the church, 
but for this community. And I began to think, it's only 42,000 people. Wow, God, you could impact 42,000 people easily. There's some churches on this planet that are bigger than that. Why can't 42,000 people be impacted by the gospel in such a way that the vast majority of our town are born again, filled with the Spirit, worshipping you, loving you, God, honoring you, being faithful in their marriages, in their friendships, in their businesses. And I began to pray like that with a passion because suddenly something changed. And I began to see the people of potential in our community. And then I began to think 42,000 people is not very many. Carmarthenshire is only 182,000 people. <gasps> 182,000 people. That's not very many either. I'm, and I began to have a passion for this county. And we began to work at being influencers of influencers. People who have uh, the power over our community, communities to say that we're going to do this or going to do that. And we began to try and get alongside them and begin to pray for them. And we began to earnestly work at actually stirring their hearts with the kingdom of God that's in me and in us. And we began to pray. I began to pray and live on purpose, passionately thinking I can influence this county. We can influence this county. And then we were at a conference and a friend of ours was speaking and he's from Mumbai. And uh, he got up and he began to talk about vision and passion and he began to talk about his church that he, that he was sent out from in Mumbai. And their passion as a ch- local church was to see Mumbai saved. Because there were only 14 million people in the city. And so they had a strategy and a plan. And he, was, he, he unpacked it. But they were on purpose going after 14 million people. And he said that church, he's been here for a little while. In, in, in this country, in Wales, actually. And he says, they're still on mission. But today, the city is 28 million. But they're still on the mission to see the city changed. Can you get a sense of what disruptive compassion can actually stir in us? Disruptive compassion. You see, Jesus modeled disruptive compassion. If you look at his stories of, of him... Well, I'm going to tell you some of them. Lazarus has died, and Jesus goes and he's with Mary and Martha, and he is weeping with them. He is emotionally engaged in their pain. He is compassionate, and his compassion motivates him. Lazarus, come on, come out. His compassion motivates him. He touches lepers, the untouchable. You can't touch them. They'll make you unclean. And he touches them because he makes them clean. They don't make him unclean. His compassion is so disruptive to the status quo. The religious people are freaking. Who does he think he is? Who does he think he is? And he opens blind eyes and he, he hangs out with prostitutes and drunkards and he does the things that God wouldn't do. But it's the very thing that God does do because we just saw it here. In Exodus, uh, wherever it is, 36, is it? Exodus 34, verse 6. He describes himself as compassionate. He says of himself, 
that he is compassionate and faithful. So if we're going to be compassionate, don't be the soft, wimpy type of, oh, I feel your pain. No, feel the pain. And then get on your high horse and do something about it. Do something about it. Be be the people that Jesus said to his disciples in that day. The fields are white. Pray. Pray for people who will go and show my compassion to the lost and the hurting. You see, in Luke 5, this is another dimension of his compassion. He says, because... John 11, if you're writing down scriptures, John 11, 33, 35, that's Lazarus. Mark 1, 41 is the leper. Uh, Mark 5, uh, 1 to 17 and 8 to, um, 8 to 1, uh, chapter 8, 1 to 10. He taught them. He explained stuff. He opened up. He opened up their understanding. He taught them. He fed them. He healed them. And he freed them. And he freed them. So he comes in contact with a guy who's demonized and he sets him free. His compassion has action. But also he does this in Luke 5, verse 20. He says, it says there of him, you see, he cared about the lost. So much so that when they said sorry, when they chose to repent, he said, your sins are forgiven. His compassion was actioned in the forgiveness of sin. It's extraordinary. This God who models what we should model is compassionate. But his compassion isn't just sympathy. It's positive action that disrupts the status quo. Your child is sick, Jairus? Okay. Take me to your house. I'm going to come and I'm going to, I'm going to disrupt. I'm going to disrupt this with my compassion. I'm coming. He's on a journey going there. And a woman grabs his, the garment, the hem of his, and power flows out of him. And he doesn't just keep going, allowing the power to flow. He stops because he cares. He has compassion for this person that the community would have been isolating. His compassion is extraordinary. He modeled disruptive compassion. And he modeled it with compelling love and kindness. Micah 6. Let me just read this to you. Listen to what the Lord is saying. It's always good to pause there. And say, okay, God, what are you going to say next? What are you going to say out of these verses? Stand up and stare. Uh, stand up and state your case against me. This is God speaking. Let the mountains and the hills be called to witness your complaints. And now, O mountains, listen to the Lord's complaint. He has a case against his people. Sorry, this is the yeah. He has against a case against his people. He will bring charges against Israel. Oh, my people, what have I done to you? What have I done to make you tired of me? Answer me. For I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from slavery. I sent Moses, Aaron, and Miriam to help you. Don't you remember my people? How, how King Balak of Moab tried to have you cursed? And how Balaam, the son of Boah, 
blessed you instead and remember your journey from Acacia Grove to Gilgal? Then I, the Lord, did everything I could to teach you about my faithfulness. And then the people say, come back at him and say, what can we bring to the Lord? How, uh, should we bring him burnt offerings? Should we bow before God most high with offerings of yearling calves? Should we offer him thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? They're being sarcastic, by the way. No, O oh people. The Lord has told you what is good. And this is what he requires of you. To do what is right. To love mercy. And to walk humbly with your God. To do what is right. To do what is right. To love mercy. Compassion. And walk humbly. And walk humbly. But how do people walk humbly? I know how I try to do that, um, and maybe you might try to do that. But what about those people who live over there and live out there? What about those people? How do they walk humbly? How do they? How do they walk humbly? How do they experience the love of God in such a way that it changes the way they choose to live? Well, Paul wrote to the Roman church with, with a plan. And he said this. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He's quoting Joel. Uh, Joel chapter 2, verse, verse, 22, uh, verse 32. Romans 10, 13. Uh, following it is. It's a chunk. And I'm praising it down a little bit. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls, everyone who says help, everyone who says, God, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Can I walk with you all the days of my life? They will be saved. Everyone. Everyone. Not, not if they continue to do what's right, but if they call, I will save them. And because they're saved, then things can begin to shift. Because the thought of disrupted, uh, disruptive compassion, the article I read said this, what if when you dream of a town changed or a, a county changed or the world changed, you're thinking about a destination, you're thinking about the end product. And it said this, it said, what if, what if disrupted, disruptive compassion is more about changing the shape of the destin the journey the direction rather than the destination what if you begin to think about influencing people step by step rather than just getting them into the kingdom but you actually begin to love them in such a way that they journey with you and they begin to say what is it steve what is it steve about you you have so much grace you have such a challenge, that wife of yours. <laughs> She's ignoring me. But people will comment. They'll look at you because you're journeying with them and you're allowing them to journey with you. And suddenly, they'll see the grace of God working in you and this compassion that you have for others 
will begin to be seen by others, experienced by others, and be drawn to the one who is feeding your compassion because you pour out what has been poured in. Paul says, he asks a question, how can they, all, how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? How can, they, how can they call on him if they never heard about him? How can they believe if they've never heard? How can they hear unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them if they aren't sent? And I want to say the sending orders have already been issued. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then love others. And then love others. Then love others as you love yourself. Then love others. Love others. Love others. Manifest the compassion of God so that it disrupts their destination. So that it distracts them and brings them around from their maybe eternal destruction to eternal salvation because you have been one who is compassionate to see people that need that need help and then to begin to play your part sensitively caringly with compassion to influence their direction that will ultimately change their destination whether it's a physical destination because you've helped them and you've given them a job or you've given them a, some support or some encouragement, whether it's mentally you've changed their destination. They were, they were just struggling. And we heard it from Carol the other week, last week that, was it last? I've heard you talk so much this last week. No, it's okay. But you've said, you, but you mentioned, you mentioned how many there's quite a few people that you've talked to that because of what they've said to you, they would not be here on breathing now if they hadn't encountered you guys and the team that represent us and the compassion that you have for their circumstances and situation. You've changed their mental condition. But also... What about those that are brokenhearted emotionally? Disarranged because somebody's taken advantage of them in a way that they should never of. And they encounter you with disruptive compassion that actually begins to change their mind that not all men are evil. I've known ladies that think men are just Satan incarnate because they've been mis just I've got to be careful I want to say things that I, <laughs> I can't say in here but with disruptive compassion we can change positively how people feel and think and choose to live their life but ultimately disruptive compassion can arrest people spiritually it can cause them to encounter the one who is all
compassion. All love. And they will meet him through you. Compassion is action motivated by emotion. And my last thought is this, simply this. Compassion is not just an attribute of God, but it's a quality. It's a quality of his people. Compassion is not, not just an attribute of God, but it's a quality of his people. It sets you apart. When you use compassion disruptively, disruptively, to challenge the status quo, things are not right. And we can, uh, we can sit in front of traffic and glue our hands to the pavement, and all we do is irritate people. But if we are disruptively compassionate, disruptively compassionate, I think, maybe, hopefully, the kingdom of God might be advancing. Maybe. Maybe. So I hope you enjoyed your jelly babies. Your unclaimed babies. Don't leave them abandoned in the bowl. <laughs> Save some for the children, I'm sure. Mind you, yeah. I don't know if there's e-numbers in these. You could wind your kids up or other people's kids. That would be good, wouldn't it? No, no. <laughs> okay, I'm going to pray. I hope, I hope something that you've heard uh, out of my mouth will be energized by the Holy Spirit to stir your heart for his glory so that you choose to be somebody who allows compassion Disruptive compassion to fuel your journey in the way that you love people, the way that you care for people, the way that you serve people. And so, Father, thank you for stirring me with these simple words. Thank you for birthing in me uh, an understanding that compassion is not just sympathy or even empathy, but it's action motivated by emotion. And, Lord, I pray that we as your church, when we see something that stirs us, it would stir us to action for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.